Man, I'm always glad to be a Van City member when I came that one time. Boy, that was great. It was really great. It was equally as hot. So I'm glad I, I wore a shirt that doesn't breathe. <laughs> so when you see sweat dripping down, just consider it the Holy Ghost. Um, and he's here and with us. Um, you guys have been in a series much like we have at Bridgetown, so hopefully this, none of this will be shocking to you, but we're coming to the end of this series. We've been uh, talking about what it means to become a creative minority. Uh, we, hopefully a lot of you know and have experienced it, I know that I have, and even as a staff we were talking about it, man, why this is so important, but over time it just seems progressively as we keep moving into our lives, uh, that, that more and more the people who follow Jesus, the more who, people who trust in his teachings and even pledge allegiance to him are becoming a minority. And that's why we thought it was really important uh, that we talk about it. And so we've been in the book of Daniel talking about what it means to live faithfully, to live with integrity, to live wisely and even shrewdly, at least hopefully. I'm hoping y'all have been learning some of that stuff. And, uh, and tonight we're going to wrap it up. And I get to do that for you, which is really fun because it's fun to be here. Because again, I mentioned it last time I was here, but when you're in Vancouver, you get done at like seven o'clock. So get ready because we're getting done at seven. I'm just kidding. Maybe. I mean, this could go long. I don't know how it's going to go, but, but you have things out here like Sonic and Red Robin, all of this very accessible to me. So I'm very excited about what's going to happen after I teach. <laughs> Uh, so don't tell anyone, but I'm really excited about it. Uh, yeah, so we're going to turn our Bibles, if you will, just we're going to jump right in. We're going to be in Daniel chapter 12. It is the last chapter in the book. It's kind of in the middle of your Bible, if you're in a Bible, if it's in your app. It's just spelled Daniel, like the name. And uh, i got to be honest, I really like the book of Daniel. A lot of people don't like the book of Daniel because they think it's a little bit weird. If you recall, the first couple chapters uh, of the book are about Daniel and his life and his interaction with these crazy kings and lion's dens and fire, you know, like uh, all the, he didn't go to the fire, but the people who did go to the fire, it's like really wonderful storytelling and I love it. And then you get to like the middle, I don't know, I don't know if you guys are doing the Bible reading plan, but we are, and when you get to the middle of Daniel, you kind of get to chapter seven and you're kind of like, mm, mm-hmm, right? You're kind of like, this, something's changing, something shifted here in the book and I'm ready to move on to Hosea as fast as I can. Because um, the second half of the book, when you, when you get to like chapter seven, you're starting to look at something that scholars call apocalyptic literature, which is exactly what it sounds like. It's about the end times, the apocalypse, all the things that will come in the future. So the second half of Daniel is about all these weird visions and the things that will come in the days ahead and at the end of time and all that. And honestly, it's super hard to wrap your head around unless you're brilliant, which some people are like me, so I totally get everything in it. Um, but, but it's really hard uh, to keep up with it. So most of the time you kind of fall away and you're like, let's just move on. Let's, some of y'all are like, let's just get to the New Testament where I can speak the language. I totally get that. Um, but I actually like the second half of Daniel. It's been challenging to sit in it. It's been ta- challenging to learn from it. But I think tonight there's something really applicable. So a few things I want to note before we jump into the text, and that is this. We're jumping into a series, the, the end of a series of three visions that were given to Daniel. So when you start in chapter seven, these angelic beings or these heavenly beings or whatever you wanna call them, they show up and they're like, Daniel, sit down, we're gonna tell you about the future. And Daniel starts getting all these weird visions and people are popping up and weird beings are coming with 17 billion eyes and all this weird stuff. And, and he's like taking notes and he's talking about the end. And so we're moving in, there were three visions given to him. We're at the end of this vision. So I don't want you to be mystified when we jump into the text. And uh, if you have any questions, too, I just wanted to mention this about the interpretation of these future coming events. Josh told me earlier that he'd be happy to interpret all of them for you and just make it real clear and linear. 
so make sure you talk to him. Um, <laughs> that one went over well at Bridgetown, too, so <laughs> I'm really glad it worked here. Um, so in chapter 12, though, we're going to jump in, and we're going to hear the angelic being speaking to Daniel. So that's where we're going to jump in uh, tonight. Truth is, I feel like really excited about what's going to happen on the back end. Sitting in the text is a little bit hard because there's a lot of stuff to get through. So I'm going to ask you just to bear with me. I'm kind of going to zip through the text a little bit. There's a ton of stuff for all you scholars in the room. There's a ton of stuff I'm not going to talk about. But I'm going to hit on the things I feel like the Holy Spirit was like, this is really important for us to get. So um, if you would, I'm going to read uh, verses 1 through 4, and then in just a minute we'll read verses 5 through uh, 13. So let's jump in. Here's the angelic being speaking to Daniel. You ready? Mm-hmm. Y'all learn his verbal. Mm-hmm. I like a little feedback. It helps me not feel so nervous. <laughs> okay. All right. Are you ready? Yeah. I love that. Okay, verse one. At the time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. There will be a time of distress such as has not happened from the beginning of the nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is written in the book, will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and, lead, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, roll up the scroll, seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. Many will go here and there to increase in knowledge. Yuck. I mean, what a terrible text to teach. <laughs> um, but hopefully I'll help make it a little bit more interesting. Um, here in the text, is, uh, there's this reference to this guy named Michael, who we know is an archangel, uh, just from our study in the scriptures. And so he's saying, okay, Daniel, this is the angelic being talking to him. At the end of the time, at the end, when all the things, the culmination of all things kind of reach the end point, there's going to be an angel who rises up, and he's going to begin to protect the people of God. And he says, here's the deal. Daniel, things are going to get really bad. Actually, they're going to get way worse than you've even imagined. And if you were Daniel sitting there, you'd be thinking a few things, right? You'd be thinking, well, we've been through some hard times as the people of God, right? If we think all the way back to the Israel's time uh, during, with the Pharaoh and Moses kind of situation where there were people in bondage and slavery for years and years and years and years. It was super gnarly. They didn't have their home. They didn't have a place where they were gonna be. They were totally being beaten and hurt and all these bad things that happened back then. So Daniel's thinking, that was pretty bad. And then he like fast forwards a little bit and he's like, and then they left, which was super great. But then they were in the wilderness for 40 years and then they were dumb again and they were in the wilderness longer, which is really annoying. Then they make it to the promised land and then they got a fight. They got a big fights that have to take place and battles that have to go on. And it's bad and they're looking for a king and they're looking for a priest. And, and with Daniel, he's got to be thinking, and here we are. We're like refugees, and it's easy for us to look at this narrative and go like, yeah, they were misplaced, but they were put in Babylon, which is really beautiful and really awesome, and it's no big deal. But we have to think of it more literally. It would be like, in our context a little bit, like people who are over in Syria, who are coming here as refugees, it would be like leaving your entire home. You know, we, we have images of Jerusalem being totally stripped bare, people starving to death, moms eating their kids because they're starving. This kind of gnarly scene, it was bad. So here the angel's saying, I know you've seen some bad things. Things are going to get worse. Bless you. You know, I, I was just always thinking about Daniel. I'm like, this is not encouraging, especially for the big finale of the chapter that we're in. Um, but there's a little tiny sliver of hope, and I want to just draw your attention to it. The good news that the angel's saying is this. He's saying, there's going to be a time coming. It's bad. It's unparalleled to what you've experienced, but it will come to an end. 
So, so that there's a little, you see the sliver of hope there. He's saying at some point, the culmination of all wickedness, of all evil, of all the things that you've seen, of cancer and of death, of molestation, of abuse, all these things are gonna come and there will be an end. And for Daniel, there's, there's a moment, hopefully, and I think for us as the reader, there's a moment we need to look at and go, there's some hope here. So he goes on to say, um, it's gonna have an end. All this wicked stuff, all this bad stuff, it's coming to a culminating point. And then he goes on to say, and everyone, every single person whose name is written in the book, and we know this to mean it would be like everyone who follows Yahweh, who follows Yahweh's teachings, or, and in our translation, all the people of God, all of us who have said yes to Jesus and his way, those who are written in the book, which is another way of saying those who are in the kingdom of God, will be delivered. So here the angel's saying, look, it's, all this wickedness will come to an end. And, and on top of that, all the people of God, they will be delivered. And for Daniel, though it's not a new narrative to him, it was probably a relieving narrative to him. So he goes on, the angel. And he says, on top of that, so I'm not done. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life and others to shame and contempt. Now, we read that, and we kind of go, yeah, we kind of get it. It's like a nod, maybe, to the resurrection or whatever. But if we were uh, Jewish people who were reading this, we would have immediately known what the author was trying to tell us, or even what the angel was trying to tell us. We would know instantly. We would think back to the Torah. We'd think back to Genesis in the beginning. We'd think about when the curse entered, when humans said to God, we're going to decide to do it our way. We'll determine what good and evil is. And God said there's consequence for that, and there's all these other consequences, but the biggest consequence is going to be this thing called death. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 19, he says, From dust you came, to dust you will return. So if we were a Hebrew reader at the time, we'd be thinking, man, this is a reference to death and to burial. So he says there's going to be a, everyone, all the people who are in the, in the ground, everyone who has died a physical death, which, by the way, we're all guaranteed that unless something crazy happens. I've been watching these weird sci-fi things, and it's like you can save your body for a long time or whatever. I'm not going to do that. I don't, think I, I don't think anyone needs that. But um, other than that, he says, those who are asleep in the ground will be raised. And this, for those of us who care about history and stuff, this is one of the first nods in the Old Testament to a literal body, bodily resurrection from the dead. So he says, the end will come. Suffering, it will come to a head. And the people of God will be delivered. And on top of that, they will be raised. All people will be raised. And some, he says, to everlasting life, which he's saying it means life forever. Some of you will be raised up from the ground and you will encounter God face to face. You won't have broken communion with him. Others, though, Others will be raised to shame and everlasting contempt, which is another way of saying you'll be raised to separation from God and judgment. And so he's saying these are the things to come, Daniel. These are the future things that are ahead of us. And they are, while just, filled with hope as well. So this is like all like good and well. And he goes on and he says, listen, there are people who are wise. And he talks about these wise people. And this is a nod for us back to this book where we've seen Daniel over and over again be insanely wise in crazy situations. And he's saying wise people are the people who are marked by God. Wise people are the people who, say, who have said yes to Jesus or yes to Yahweh and his teachings. And he says not only are they impacting, the impact is on their life, but it's on generations who will come after them. He says they're gonna have influence. Those who have said yes will shine like the stars, which is another way of saying like, their radiance goes on and on and on. These are the wise people. 
It's just a reminder, and I hope, I would assume, this is me just jamming myself right into the text, right next to Daniel, but I would imagine that would be an encouraging statement coming from this heavenly being. He's saying the wise are like this, and Daniel, you are like this. In verse four, he goes on to say, uh, but roll up the scroll, which is another way of him saying, this is the end. There's no more vision left. This is, it's final. This is, the whole vision has been given to you, and you're to seal it up and wrap it up for the right time because a lot of people will be seeking knowledge to and fro. They'll be going back and forth and what's the right thing and what's not the right thing and do we know this is the time and is it not the time and you know, the left behind books are so good or whatever and like four of us know about that but it was a really dark season in our lives and we just, we're watching all this weird, you know, say yes to the lamb and getting ready to be crucified, all that weird stuff. That's the kind of thing he's saying. Everyone's gonna be searching and saying, is it the time, is it the time, is it the time? And he's saying, roll it all up. The vision's been given and it will happen at the right time. He says, go your way. So that's the first part, pretty good. Pretty good news for Daniel. Now in my opinion, the camera begins to turn in the text in verse five and we see Daniel's response. Now there's been a vision being spoken about over and over and over again to Daniel. So he's been sitting in a long explanation of a vision and now it's his turn to respond. And it's his turn to respond right here at the end of the book. So let's read verse five. He says, then I, Daniel, I looked and there before me stood two others, one on this side of the river and the other on the opposite side of the bank. One of them said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river, how long will it be before these astonishing things are fulfilled? And the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river lifted his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and I heard him swear by him who lives forever saying, it will be for a time, times, and half a time. But when the power of, uh, of the holy people has been finally broken, all these things will be completed. Verse eight, I heard, but I did not understand. Hello. So I asked, which is really smart, my Lord, what will the outcome of all of this be? And he replied, go your way, Daniel, because the words are rolled up and sealed until the time of the end. Many will be purified, made spotless and refined, but the wicked will continue to be wicked. None of the wicked will understand, but those who were wise will understand. From the time that the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination that causes desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. Blessed is the one who waits for and reaches the end of the 1,335 days. As for you, go your way until the end. You will rest, and then at the end of the days, you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. Now, in Daniel 5, we see these two figures jump into the mix. We've already got some angelic beings floating around, and there's two more that join the party. And Daniel goes on, he's talking about this one, this man clothed uh, in linen. And a lot of scholars believe this is what we call a theophany, which is Jesus before he was given uh, his earthly body and, and came here. Um, some people don't think that, so we don't know for sure, but what we do know is it's really important that we pay attention to what this figure is saying. We do know that he has authority, and we do know that he is the one who is answering Daniel. So we lean in and, to, and we listen. And what I love about this text is it comes to this moment where Daniel's gotta be sitting there going, what in the world? 
We imagine that Daniel was, we, we think at least, we're pretty sure that this was, Daniel was about 80 or 90 when he was receiving this final vision. And all the things that he had seen and experienced, I mean, we can't even fathom that in our own lifetime. And I'm imagining that he was, had a, a million questions. If it were me, I'd be asking everything. Like, what color is the book? And why is there a book? And why not, is there food? Or where, what's going to happen? You know, I'd be asking all these questions. And it's cool because the, the being steps in long before Daniel can even utter a word to the man in linen. He says, how long until these astonishing things will happen? And I'm thinking Daniel's like, yeah, how long? What are we talking? Because I've been here in exile for a really long time. How long? And the angel responds and he gives him a certain uh, amount of time. He says, a certain amount of time is going to have to pass. And it's cool because Daniel right then speaks up and he says, well, what will the outcome be? And you have to put yourself again in Daniel's shoes because he's saying, this stuff is all great. I get it. There's a bodily resurrection, end of suffering, which sounds really good. Um, we're going to be with Yahweh or God forever. This is good. But we're still here in Babylon. <laughs> and I've been here a long time and I've pretty, been pretty faithful and I think I've been pretty wise and shrewd and I'm sure he wasn't prideful, maybe only in small moments. But man, you have to be wondering that when he asks, how long will it be? He wasn't just like, oh, and how long do you think that's going to take? Like it's a burger on the grill. He's asking something really sincere. How long? And what is the outcome of these things? And those are two poignant questions that I think all of us are at least decently uh, familiar with. Now, there's a lot more to be said about what happens between all of that. He's talking about there's times coming. He says, Daniel, go your way. Let things be go, and basically what he's saying when he's saying go your way, he's saying live faithfully where you are, keep doing what you've been doing, and leave the rest to what the people of God will accomplish, which had to be a bummer. If you're a leader, you get that that's a bummer. He's, not, he's basically saying you probably won't get to see this one all the way through, which for someone who's labored so hard and so faithfully, it's got to be kind of an annoying thing. But he wraps it up at the end. He says there's going to have to be all these things that take place, but... And he leans in and he tells Daniel about the end. This is the grand finale of the text. He says, as for you, Daniel, once again, go your way. Keep living faithfully. Keep doing what I've instructed you to do. Keep trusting in the timing of Yahweh and when he'll bring these things to fulfillment. Oh, and by the way, you're going to rest, which if you don't know what that means, means you're going to die. <laughs> so FYI, Daniel, you are going to die. Why is it important that he told him he was going to die? Well, I mean, I guess it would be helpful if someone was like, you're, you know, I mean, I can tell you right now, you're going to die. So there's your moment. But he's saying, he's saying, it, and it's important that it's in the text because he's saying you're going to die. And, and what we gather from what scholars have said is, is that he was going to die in Babylon. And so this is much more than him just going, and by the way, you're going to die. This is going to end. He was saying, you're going to die here which means you won't be going home, which means there's a really good chance that your body, which in Hebrew culture this was a really big deal, but your body won't even be buried back home, that you'll be here in Babylon until the end. And, and that, that is a little bit of a bummer, if I'm being totally honest, right? And I can imagine the sinking feeling that Daniel had where he's going, what? He's saying, you're not going to see these promises filled with your eyes, at least at this point. And you won't get to see, go back to your home, the, the house that you built, the house you grew up in. That's not going to happen. You're going to be here in Babylon until the end. But it's not a total bummer because he finishes it out with this. He says, and then at the end, you will rise and you will receive your allotted inheritance. And that is where hope begins. Now, 
If I'm being totally honest, like you, I guess you could probably gather by all my emotion. This is like the third time I'm doing the teaching, so I've got a lot of feeling about Daniel. I've gotten to sit with it and think about it, but I was hoping for a lot more from the story because here we are at sitting and reading about this man who has shut the mouths of lions, for lack of a better word. He has sat with some of the greatest kings in history. He has seen... Uh, the miracles of God firsthand, he's interpreted dreams, and not to mention, he has seen the future for the people of God. And yet, this is it. And in chapter 12, we've joined him, not only at the end of his life, but at the end of this book, and you would think in this moment there would be some kind of climax of like, and, and here's your crown, and here's something twinkly to look at, or here's like everlasting water or whatever. I mean, like something good. He would get a parting gift or something that memorializes him. Hey, we're gonna build a little statue because you were awesome, people love you. Nothing. And, and here he is and he's saying, go your way. Go your way, know you will die here in Babylon and know that the promises of Yahweh will be fulfilled. And I gotta be honest, it was like we've had this great series where I'm like, wow, this is awesome, but where is his reward? And, and asking ourselves if this is how the whole thing ends. Is this how it ends for the people of Israel? And, and we've been reading the New Test Old Testament, so we've been reading about it just keeps getting harder and harder and harder, and I'm going like, just one story that would be really, really wowy or powerful, and I get that resurrection from the dead is actually a really big deal, and it's gonna be great at some point, but it's really hard to imagine when you're in the throes of things now. And if we were Daniel, it'd be really hard to imagine how to have hope amidst his circumstance. And so we ask ourselves, what hope is there from Daniel's point of view? And what in the world, I had to ask myself, what would move him forward? You know, because Daniel's not only thinking about himself, he's probably thinking about the people that he loves and the people he's been doing this journey with, at least in Babylon. He's wondering what is going to move them forward. I certainly can't go back and say, hey, y'all, <laughs> funny thing I got from the angel. I'm going to die. This is going to get worse. But eventually... Y'all gonna get raised up from the ground. I mean, bless you, let's keep going, let's stay faithful. I mean, annoying, that's annoying, right? It would be, at least to me, I'd be like, that is not sufficient. And here Daniel had to have been thinking, what is gonna move them forward? And we've all been there. We've all been in moments where we are laced with pain and disappointment and discouragement and frustration or whatever it is, and we've had to ask ourselves, what in the world is gonna move us forward? Particularly, if we're trying to be people who are living faithful to the way of Jesus, we could do all that medicating stuff that the world does. We, could, we can go and drink a little bit more, have an extra drink or you know, whatever it is, eat a little bit more, or watch a little bit more Netflix or whatever it is. But here we're asking, how do we live faithfully Still, as the people of God, when life is hard and discouragement comes and, and there's oppression or isolation or marginalization, how do we do it? And I think about, there's probably at least a few people in this room who know what it's like. I mean, we've been working years and years and years for a promotion you were hoping to get and you were living with integrity and faithfulness. And so maybe even through this series, you were like, man, I'm really going to press in and have integrity just to find out that the dude in the cubicle next to you gets the promotion over you. And you're like, what? Or maybe you and your wife or you and your friends are standing in the bathroom and you're staring and praying and hoping and wishing that that little tiny wand after three minutes will show a little pink line which would mean everything to you in the whole world and yet it doesn't show up again. 
And you're asking yourself, how do I move forward? I'm being faithful. I am praying. I am fasting. I am asking people for prayer. I'm reading the scriptures. I'm trying to do what God's asking me to do. And yet, I'm disappointed. What keeps us going? Why do we have hope and why do we have it in the midst of living in a world in our own Babylon that's difficult? That's not always easy. It's strange and foreign sometimes. We're doing things the way people wouldn't do things or we're thinking things the way people wouldn't think things and it's hard. And there's a natural tension that's building. And we gotta know the answer. We have to know what's gonna move us forward or we will stay here and become embittered, grumpy, cranky people who are useless for the kingdom of God. And so it's good for us to wrestle. It is good for us to sit in the tension and to ask these questions. We have, over and over again, I'm assuming Josh has and all the teachers who've come to speak here, we have been pressing hard and gone to great lengths to keep saying that there's a great demand and call for faithfulness when it comes to living as a creative minority. And we've talked about cost and we've done it unapologetically. We're saying this is a call that's gonna cost you, could be even potentially your life. And I don't mean that like, I just mean that like uh, in the things that you're giving up and denying that are very provocative to the world. And it, I, don't know, I don't know how it's hit you. For me, it's been really challenging. I know that God showed me things I didn't know were there, which was really annoying, called me to faithfulness in places that I was like, it's not too much Netflix. I'm trying to tell you. you know? And he's like, that's too much Netflix, okay? So <laughs> it's so annoying, but I'm trying to press in and live faithfully here. And yet... It's easy, so easy for us to miss the other side to faithfulness that exists. There's like a coin, if you will. We're calling you to faithfulness, yes, but on the other side of faithfulness, the thing that is equal and parallel to it is hope. And we miss that a ton. I've been missing it, at least for the last couple months, I've missed it. And I don't want you to miss it, particularly as we're closing out this series. Hope, if we define it simply, uh, it can be the absolute expectation uh, of coming good based on the character of God. So hope, as we define it, at least as John Mark and a few of us, other people are picking up and we're stealing it and moving it around, we say it is the absolute expectation of coming good based on the character of God. And it's been said that what you hope for shapes how you live. And if that is even partially true, then when we look at the life of Daniel, we see that he was a man who was marked and propelled by hope. And while I know there are very few of us who can actually identify with where Daniel's at and what it would be like to be a refugee in a foreign country and to give up and lose your whole life and your family, all these things that uh, he walked through, I, I don't want to underestimate our need and our ability to relate to the need for hope. Because Daniel's life wasn't just all perfect and tied up. It didn't end the way he expected. And it certainly probably wasn't what he predicted or even thought about when he first went into exile. And I want to talk about these four truths I have gleaned, at least from the last series, from the life of Daniel as I've sat and studied, as I've looked at even our text here tonight. I want to talk about four truths, and for you note-takers, you're going to like that. For those of you who are not note-takers, go ahead and draw or doodle. Draw me a picture of myself. One time someone actually did that, and it was not flattering. So, <laughs> she drew like a chicken next to me. It was such a weird thing. Anyway, so I'm going, to, I'm going to walk you through the four things that I've learned and hopefully just offer it to you as an encouragement. But before I jump in and talk about those four things, I'm going to do it decently quick. Um, I want to say two things. 
I want to say what hope is not. Because we look at Daniel's life, we want to go, he didn't have a lot of hope. And it would be easy for us to define that that way. And that's because we define hope in a weird way, oftentimes, particularly as believers. I want to say out loud uh, that hope is not optimism. Hope uh, is not about what we long for, what we dream up, or what we imagine. Hope is so much more than that. But we in the church get that skewed a lot. And I'm saying me in the church. A lot of times I'm like, I have been hoping for that for a long time, which means my expectations have been very high about the goodness of what that can be. I've been setting these ticks in my head of like what my friendships need to look like and what my husband's going to look like and, um, and all the other things and how many kids I'm going to have and what that's going to be like and when I'm married and how he's going to interact with me and how he's always going to think I'm right and always going to think I'm smart and he just can't help himself because I'm so cute and beautiful and blah and all these things. That's optimism. That's not hope. I'm coming out and listing out the things that I desire that I can dream up. And let me just say this, optimism, this is how I would define it at least, thinks the best for sure. So optimism is thinking like everything's going to work out and be awesome. Our marriage is going to be awesome. Our kids are going to be awesome. My hair is going to be awesome, which it usually is. Thank you, Jesus. That's a praise. But optimism thinks the best, which is a thing, but it is intrinsically rooted in itself in what it can think up and accomplish. Optimism is rooted in itself in what it can think up and accomplish. Hope, however, lies in what we believe. Belief is different than what we think. (laughs) Belief rooted, dependent on, and in another person to accomplish not only what we can think up, but what he can. Hope is birthed out of the things that God himself dreams up for our lives. Optimism narrows things down. It limits things. It says it looks this way and how I dreamed it up. And when it doesn't work out the way I want, then I pitch a fit. Not me, but other people pitch fits. And they, they get angry or we're shaking that one and going, not another time. I'm not going to try again. We give up. We f- forsake things. We curse God. We go, this is not your goodness towards me. This can't be. And, and a lot of times, and I'm not being disrespectful, not trying to be. I'm speaking out of my weakness. But a lot of times, it's because I have set the expectation. I have determined in my own ability what I think is good and just and is given to me from God. And that is not hope. And that leads me to my next thing. What we hope for is vital to understanding hope's power and value. Our hope for God being faithful to us is not equal to him giving us what we want, which we miss a lot. Not, not you, I certainly miss all the time. I'm like, I didn't get to the Nordstrom sale and time, and you didn't give that to me because you're mean. Um, a lot of us hope for husbands or families or the home or the job that will provide the money, then we can get the boat and do the thing. And hope, when we look at it in the scriptures, is to be placed in God. Hope is rooted in, in, in trusting and believing and wanting him to work in us and through us to one day bring his kingdom in full, that we would see it with our eyes, that we would be raised from the dead and see him for who he really is. That's where hope is rooted from. That's where we begin when we place our hope in him. And the call tonight is that we be really clear about that. What we hope for and what we hope in isn't about our personal satisfaction, which is entirely disappointing to our humanity. I get that. But hope in its beauty and its perfection is rooted in God's heart for us. In his imagination, things he thinks up and dreams about for us, it's rooted in his desires, not in our own. 
which if we can get that in the right place, will help us be able to receive from him the things he actually wants to give to us. So let me jump into the four points for all you note takers. So you can be thrilled, and then I promise I'm about half hour away from being done. So we are getting there. We're making headway. Red Robin, here we come. Um, why do we have hope? Okay, well, when we look at the text, when we look at the life of Daniel, here's the thing that I've observed. In Daniel's life, we see that hope is rooted in a person and a promise, not in his circumstances. Hope is rooted in a person and a promise, not his circumstances. Right off the bat in verse 1, we read that the circumstances for the people of God are going to get really, really, really bad. There's imminent distress and suffering, but... Daniel is told, he has even promised, that there will be deliverance for the people of God. And Daniel's called to step into that, to move into that place in that moment when that's presented to him, just as we are. There's a, an, a Hebrew image, when you're reading the text and you read the word deliverance, there's this image that should pop up in your head because you're all Jewish scholars, good for you. But the image is that of a woman who's about 38 weeks pregnant who looks really good and thin. Yeah, good for you. I made the mistake of being like, the girls who are, you know, I'm like, that is rude a little bit, because I'll probably look like that. But the, the, it looks like they're almost about to give birth, and the, the picture that we're supposed to get from the text is that that baby is going to have to come out. It is imminent. There's no way around it. That woman is going to give birth to the baby. And that's what he's saying about deliverance. Just as certain as we are that a woman will give birth to a child, so we are certain in our deliverance and in our hope. This is the way God promises us things. This is how he gives himself to us, not in part, but in full. And so we place our hope uh, in him and in the promises he offers. And that's good. It is good for us to do that. And I get it. Hope is really easily deferred. It is easily discouraged, particularly in a city, city like Portland or Vancouver, where you're looking around and you're going, there's not a lot going on here. There's a lot of gnarly stuff happening here. We hear about it all the time. We see it. But that's why he's saying, look at me, not your circumstances. A lot of you are in dark places. It's hard. Things have been overwhelming. And he's saying, me, if your hope is in me, you will not be disappointed. If your hope is in the promise that I proclaim to you, then you cannot be discouraged. And this is where he gets to lift your head, which is so awesome. Hope is rooted in a person, then a promise, not our circumstances. Second, hope requires patience. If you haven't picked it up at all through the life of Daniel, then you really missed it. You probably didn't read it, but Daniel's life demanded patience. And then we see even as he's coming to the end of his life that he's still called to great patience. Uh, he's, he's, uh, we know at one point in the, in the scriptures that he's actually looking through the teachings of Jeremiah, which was a prophet who was like right on his tail end, you know, because he was telling them how long they'd be in exile and all that. And you have to imagine Daniel was kind of going like, good, like one day I'm going to get my house back and I'm, maybe I'll get married, maybe I'll find a girl, like it'll be all, whatever. I don't know. He had to been thinking ahead and hoping and, and longing. And yet at the same time, he had to be patient for what wasn't yet. And I think it's easy, this is where I do a really bad job. Uh, I, I get so annoyed with having to be patient because I'm just not good at it. Though God demands it constantly of my life. I mean, it's just like one of these irritating things that we keep going, I'm like, you think you're cute, but this is not cute here, down here. And he's laughing and loving me and we really love each other a ton, but my goodness, I get so annoyed with him as he demands time. And uh, one of the things I'm missing or one of the things the Lord spoke to me about in this text particularly was that there's so much beauty in patience when we look at the life of Daniel, it is undeniable 
that God had set him apart and that he was a man who was marked by hope, yes, but patient hope. And, and I think we, we forget, we miss. Um, if we got what we wanted right away, it would be kind of annoying, right? We'd be, or it would be great, not annoying. That's not where I'm going. It would be awesome. But patience has this thing that allows you, when it has its full effect, and you know, all the scholars of the New Testament talk about it, but when it actually has its final work, it actually says something to you that you couldn't say to yourself, and it's saying you are a dependent being. When we're in this realm of hope and, and the patience that comes with it, we are declaring before God that he alone can do what we're asking him to do that he alone is the only one who can fulfill the longing of our heart. If you're not able to wait, then you're probably not waiting on the Lord and with him and in step with him. And that's one thing I'm learning painfully on this journey. Waiting is not wasted time. It is an extraordinary gift if we, the people of God, will be wise and wise enough to embrace it. And I think we see that in the life of Daniel. Third, hope demands that we look forward. Uh, early on, um, Daniel was introduced to hope at the get-go. He started to see the promises and the miracles and the faithfulness of God, not 20 years after he had been in exile, but right away when he said, no, I'm not going to eat this food, and the guy's like, oh, you're kind of special, and he's like jamming him up before the king, and all this stuff goes forward, and it's really awesome. And I love this because Daniel's constantly thinking forward. He wasn't going back and going like, man, I really miss my teddy that's still in my bed back in Jerusalem or whatever. Teddy bear, I should say, a teddy bear, and he's whatever, he's, he's not thinking back, he's not like, I don't have my parents here, and they're not close like they used to, we never hear grumbling, and granted, I get it, it's a text, and so they didn't put it in there, but they could have, because if they had been writing about my life, I would have been like, this is unfair, this thing that's happening, I'd be mad for the people of God, and think I'm justified in doing it. And we see that Daniel's consistently looking forward, and even as he's talking to the angel in this final passage, he's saying, what will be the outcome? And people who are marked by hope are constantly looking forward, and hope demands that of us. True, godly, righteous hope demands that of us. We look forward, and what's so cool is that hope is this idea that we're looking forward to a different day. And I think that a lot of us get that, at least I do in so many ways. I think, man, I'm longing for the day when cancer is no more when it can no longer ravage the bodies of children and we have to look at it and see it and I'm longing for a different day and God's like, hope calls you forward towards that day. It propels us and moves us forward. I'm longing for the day when abuse no longer shows up week after week after week as I'm counseling these women. I'm so sick and tired of it. It is ravaging the lives of people who are doing it and receiving it and it's awful and I look forward to the day and God says, this is hope. Hope, hope demands, it demands that I declare even that there will be a day when none of that will exist anymore, where Jesus will vindicate and make those things new, where Jesus will give babies where there haven't been babies, where Jesus will and is able to deliver and exceedingly and abundantly beyond what we could ever ask or imagine. That's what hope does. It demands that we look forward. Fourth, hope shows us our place in redemptive history. Now, it's really easy um, it's really easy to miss this one. And I was kind of like, I don't know, maybe I should take it out for Van City because maybe they're not a part of the redemptive plan. I don't know. Just, that's a joke. That's a big joke. Everyone laugh it up. Um, but hope, when we look at it through the narrative of Daniel, we look at it through this text even, hope 
has marked the people of God. And even as Daniel's going out towards the end of his life, he's still a man marked by hope because he's leaving his exchange with these heavenly beings and he's going, there is a day coming when Yahweh puts everything to right. And, and, and we, people, <laughs> we, those of us who are sitting here at Van City Church, but also the people that Daniel was looking face to face, face with, his fellow Hebrew Jewish friends, he was saying, we are part of this story. And our faithfulness matters and where we place our hope and how we move forward matters. And, and it's easy, I get it, to think like, I'm no big deal, you can disqualify yourself in five minutes, I can do the same thing while you're preaching, that doesn't mean anything. I can disqualify, I mean, really, already the enemy's like, you are terrible, you are terrible. I mean, he's just right, he's so annoying. But it happens, right? We can all disqualify ourselves from what I said tonight didn't matter. It's not going to impact you. It's not going to whatever. And I'm just one person. I'm just serving. I'm setting up coffee. And you don't even understand. And it doesn't matter that I hope for the reconciliation to take place with my mom. It's not a big deal. It's okay. We'll just live with it until Jesus comes again and whatever. And I'm going to put this off and wait for it. And God's saying now. It matters how you live. This is the mark of faithfulness and this is the mark of hope. The people of God have been marked by this incredible, beautiful possibility that all things can happen in and through Jesus. And we play a part in echoing not only in Portland, Oregon, but in the history of our story as the people of God that he is who he said he was. We and hope and all of this, all the stuff we've been talking about matters in the redemptive story that God is telling there's this guy, and honestly, I can't even say his last name. It's really embarrassing. Um, his name is Joel, but his last name is Musa. Can you jam that up there? Musa, Musovi, Musosvi. Someone's gonna know how to say that. And bless you. Don't tell me afterwards. Um, but he says this. He said, one of the functions of biblical apocalyptic literature, which is what we just read—the stuff about the end and the people of God and all of that. It, the whole point of it is to remind the remnant or the people of God of their unique and special place in God's plan. Surrounded by the enemy, the, the remnant or the people of God may be in danger of relegating themselves, their function and their significance to the role of insignificant minor players of a local drama, but the apocalyptic literature reminds them that they play key roles in a cosmic drama. He's saying it's easy to discredit ourselves and we can miss this peace that we're not playing in the kingdom of God, that we're not valuable, that we're not part of this redemptive story. And the word is saying, you are. You are what advances and moves this forward. You are the ones who will speak up at the resurrection of the dead. You are the ones who proclaim that he who promised is faithful. Now listen, this is not a new thing for you. A lot of you are like, I know about hope better than you do. You messed up a few times. That's fine, I'm going to Red Robin. I'm gonna drown my sorrows in a, something nice, like a milkshake. But I, I absolutely believe, I was praying for you before I came here, and I just had this really strong sense that, um, that a lot of you, whether you've said it out loud or not, maybe you've said it to your husband, or maybe you haven't, maybe you said it to your wife, you haven't, or you just, you've been feeling a little bit off or whatever, but there's just like a heaviness over uh, your life and over you and where you're at, and, and it's been hard lately. Maybe it's discouragement, maybe it's hope deferred, which the scriptures say actually make your, makes your heart sick, and I don't know if you've experienced that, I certainly have. And it is hard. It's one of those weird things that sits on you that no one really talks about, but it's a huge, uh, it has a huge impact on your life and how you function as a believer and as a follower of Jesus. And maybe it's made you lethargic or, or I don't know, uh, uh, even a little bit skeptical or angsty or whatever, but I just sense that the Holy Spirit 
happens to talk to you tonight. And I just want to tell you, just from my own experience, that um, I'm not any different than you on that, that this season, at least for me as a pastor, has probably been one of the most discouraging. And granted, I've only been on staff four years here, but I've served in other places, and I've always, I, I, can, I can't remember a time when I wasn't serving in ministry. Um, but this season, just particular, has just been like one that's just been brutal. And it was so funny when they asked me to teach this, they're like, we'd like you to talk about hope in exile. And I was like, oh, no, thank you, but bless you, you know? I mean, honestly, I appreciate that, and that's very kind, but I was thinking, God, there's no way. Even I said, why don't you just let me think about it? And there were a few other reasons I needed to think about it, but that was one of them, was I was like, am I equipped to even say this to these people? Because I don't know. Because here I am sitting week after week, and normally I get to tell people all the grandiose stories about how God rescued people and how he, he stepped in, he delivered, and man, you'd think this wasn't going to happen, and then all of a sudden she got pregnant, and we'd been praying, and it's awesome. People are like, ooh, so cool, you know? And I like doing that. That's where I like to be. And at the same time, on this end of the spectrum, I see some really gnarly stuff. You know, I just see the, the, the effects of evil and of sin and how it corrupts people and how it's a battle and how it's hard. And this summer, I have seen no resurrection life, <laughs> but only death. You know, here I am in the trenches with women who are suffering, and I wish I could go into details, and I cannot. But they are begging God for mercy. We are begging God for mercy week after week after week. We are petitioning some of these for over a year, some of these even longer. We're just, God, would you have mercy? Would you deliver? Would you do something? Would you give us hope in some way? Because we have no hope because this is bad. This is all really bad. And I am sitting right there tonight. <laughs> I'm still there tonight. I don't have some miraculous story of like, man, and God came in. And, but what I will say to you is this. There have been times where, particularly over the summer, I've, I've like, I talk to my mom when I'm feeling crazy. I, I talk to her all the time, but I talk to her when I feel crazy in particular because she can handle it. And she's like, you're sweet. And I'm like, bye. So um, but we do that. I can at least tell her when I'm feeling crazy. And I called her one afternoon. I remember I was going to, I had just gotten the call that one of my women was being abused. And, and there was nothing I could do at this point. It was like hands tied. And I just wept on the phone with my mom. And I just said, I can't go to this next meeting. I said, don't have it. Normally I'm like, just muster it up, you know, all that southern grit. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to get after the devil. I'm going to get mad about something. Somebody cut me off. That's enough, you know. I'm going to get up on you or whatever. Bless you in the name of Jesus. And, um, and I just couldn't do it. And I was like, how am I going to do this? And my mom prayed for me. She said, you just got to go in there. So I just went in and sat before this girl, and, and I was just hearing, and she was talking. And it's one of those things where you're like, what is she saying? It's like a movie where someone's talking, you're like, I can't hear anything they're saying, I have no idea. And then I slowly started to hone in, I could hear what she was saying, and she was talking about some, some more gnarly stuff that she was walking through, and I just felt the Holy Spirit just filling me with something, something, some words or something, and somehow, when the moment came, and not anytime sooner, I was able to say, but this is who God is. As a pastor, we get to declare the goodness of God and who he is in front of people and out loud, that's all we do. We're believing for people when they can't believe and we're just, we're just stomaching storms with them and all that. And somehow in this moment when I had no hope because of these gnarly stories, that rose up in me. And just like Daniel, I just have to believe, and this isn't haughty, but somewhere in me I believe that one day Jesus is gonna restore all things. And it's that that testified in me. It wasn't anything else, it was that goodness of the Lord. And uh, it's what we long for. 
It's what we hope for. And it's not right up here. It's not bubbling over just like it wasn't for Daniel. It's not emanating out of me right now. And I came in discouraged today. I wasn't like lit up like a Christmas tree last night. I was with a woman who, honestly, we've been praying at the same Starbucks every Sunday morning at 1030 for over a year and a half. And last night, what we prayed against happened. And, um, and I showed up today and I was like, somehow, God, you're going to talk about the hope that you have And he kept reminding me, just a small picture, he just said, look at me. Your hope is in me and what I'm able to do, not in her circumstances and not in what didn't happen or what could happen. And for you personally, Bethany, what you're hoping for, what you're really hoping for, that you feel discouraged in, you feel deferred in and all of that, look at me. Look right at me. And here's the thing. We are gonna be in exile for a long time till we die and we come to Jesus face to face. And over and over again, it is our job as the people of God to proclaim to one another that we are people of hope. We have put our trust and our hope in a person and a promise, not in our circumstances and not in what we're looking at. And times might get harder, times might get easier. I don't know what's ahead for us and the kingdom of God and our role and our place in it. But our job is to declare to one another that we are people who are not without hope. And it's my desire tonight um, that you would just remember that. If you're tonight sitting here and you're thinking, what do I have to hope for? Bethany, if you knew my circumstances or if you knew this is what happened in my marriage or this is what happened last week or this car accident and I don't know and now we're poor and I can't figure out how to pay the bills or whatever, your hope is, and I just want to speak it over you, is absolutely guaranteed And that's how we move forward in the kingdom of God. And our job is to speak that to one another, to do it often, and to do it with joy. Uh, Tonight, I I don't know where you're at. I don't know if you're just ready to get out of here and go to Red Robin. I hear you. I'll see you there. Let you buy me a drink. But um, I just have this really strong sense from the Holy Spirit that he just has some stuff he wants to say to some of us who feel discouraged or bummed out who feel isolated or feel marginalized. And I have a sense it's not just for people who feel that blatantly, but people who feel the little sliver of it here or a little bit of it here and just kind of brush it off, brush it off, brush it off. But I sense tonight is that the Holy Spirit has something he wants to say to you about that. So-